Father, we are so thankful for your amazing love that you would send your son to die for us and that he would willingly come, that he would offer himself a sacrifice, the sinless, spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we are so thankful that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And Father, as we look into your word, I pray that you would open our hearts to see what you share correctly. I pray for those who don't know you that today you would pierce through their hearts and reveal their need for a Savior and and your Son, Jesus Christ. And for those of us who know you, that we would leave glorifying and praising you for, for what you have done. We commit this time to you now in your Son's precious name. Amen. Well, if you watch the news lately, it's not a fun thing to do, but if you watch the news lately, you see there are a rash of suicides lately. A lot of teens are killing themselves. A lot of teens are are hopeless. Uh, It arises from many different things. Obviously, when sin is not dealt with, there's depression, there's anger, there's selfishness, all those things, and they they can culminate in in the ultimate act of selfishness, which is murder, uh, murdering oneself. And the reality is the, the Bible shares that the world has no hope. There is no true hope. No matter what you do, what you have, you will never be satisfied. And young people that have everything are realizing that. They're realizing that it doesn't satisfy. And maybe some of you are realizing that uh, this life and the things of this life don't satisfy. The reality is we can hope in a lot of things, but those hopes get shattered. You know, when you lose your job, uh, when the world collapses around you, uh, whatever it might be, uh, a divorce, a situation in a relationship, uh, children turning to drugs or whatever it might be, someone getting terminally ill, whatever it might be, it's easy to lose our hope. And inevitably, if we don't know Christ, our hopes will be dashed. But today we're going to see that we can find true hope in a hopeless world. Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke? We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 34. And Nick has read the uh, account of the, the trials and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that he was led to the cross, that he voluntarily gave his life for us, that it is finished, that he died for our sins. He accomplished the work that the Father sent him to do. It is finished. He came to die for our sins. He did not come to be served, but to give his life a ransom. And he was on the cross bearing our sins in his body, and he died. And today we're going to see that he rose from the dead as he said he would. Again, Luke chapter 13, excuse me, chapter 24, and I want to start reading back in verse 1, and then we'll move up to our passage. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they had entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek 
the living one among the dead. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he, was, while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. And then we have the women going and telling the disciples, Peter and John coming back to look for themselves and believing. And we come to our passage, an amazing passage, where we're going to see how we can find hope in a truly hopeless world. Again, if you don't know Christ, eventually your hopes will be dashed. Eventually the things of this life will not satisfy. You will reap what you sow. And yet there is true hope. I think first of all we're going to see that the Lord Jesus still comes along those who are walking away and he reveals himself through his word that they might believe. Look at verse 13 of chapter 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about the things that had taken place. Behold, take a look. There were two of them going towards Emmaus. Emmaus was a village about seven miles away. They were walking away from Jerusalem. Two of them were disciples, but we'll see they're not of the eleven, but they were disciples of Jesus. And they're walking away. They're walking away from Jerusalem to this village. And it says in our passage, on that very day. Well, what day is that? It was the resurrection day where Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, what are they doing as they're walking? Verse 14, and they were conversing with each other about the things which had taken place. Now, they were walking away from Jerusalem and they were immersed in conversation. Look at the end. We see about the things that were taking place. The end of verse 14. Well, what were they talking about? Obviously, the things that had taken place, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and all that had gone on. So we have the picture here. It is the third day. They are walking away from Jerusalem and the, where the disciples had been gathered together and they are talking and discussing along the way what had happened. And notice what happens in verse 15. And it came about while they were conversing and discussing. The term discussing could be translated throwing at things back and forth, debating. They were into a heated discussion. When they're conversing and talking about the things, discussing, notice our text says, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. This is an amazing thought, as we'll see. It's amazing truth. It's amazing to think about. These dejected disciples are trying to figure out the events. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from the other disciples. They've left. They're going to Emmaus. And it's absolutely amazing. Only hours after Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, he comes alongside these two disciples who are walking away. And notice verse 16. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing or knowing him. These disciples were prevented from recognizing him. And the question would be, why did Jesus prevent them from seeing him or recognizing him? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he say just, look, you guys, I'm risen from the dead. Everything is great. Everything is wonderful. Believe in me. I'm ready to go. Here, let's go. Not I'm ready to go, but you need to be ready to go. <laughs> why didn't he say that? Why didn't he say that? Well, we're going to see some very important principles today that the Lord Jesus needs, first of all, to reveal our sin before he reveals himself. He needs to reveal our sin, and then he reveals himself very specifically through a specific means. Even after he rose from the dead, he reveals himself through his own word. 
It's very important because we are so tainted to experience. People believe things because of their experience rather than by faith in what God has said. So the Lord Jesus has come up to them and he, as we will see, needs to reveal their problem, their problem, which is unbelief and sin. And that's what he needs to do with you and me. There's no way to come to Jesus Christ. There's no way to find true hope apart from having your sinfulness uncovered and revealed by God through his word, by his spirit, that you might truly turn and believe. We've all sinned from start to finish, all of us, young and old. We are sinners when we're born because we're in Adam. So what does he do here? Verse 17, and he said to him, what are these And he said to him, what are these words which you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? Verse 17. And they stood still looking sad. So the Lord Jesus says, come up. He says, what are these words you are talking about? What are you talking about? And they stop in their tracks looking sad. They They are gloomy. And so they respond here. And one of them named Cleopas, verse 18, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting or literally visiting as a stranger or a foreigner? Because at this time in Jerusalem, they would come for Passover. They would come for this time, those who were, who were, who were Jews or those who were proselytes to, to worship. Then they would leave. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? We see here and unaware of the things which have happened in these days. Don't you know what has happened? Are you the only person in this entire city that hasn't realized what's happened? It's obviously everyone knew about it. It's like going to New York on 914 and saying and not knowing about 911. Everyone knew about it. Everyone knew. And here everyone knew what happened in those days. What happened in those days. So they say, "Are the only one visiting Jerusalem unaware of these things which happened in these days?" And notice his answer and he said to them, "What things? What things?" And they said to him the things about Jesus the Nazarene. Now, this is Jesus with them right now. And he has prevented them from seeing him. The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now, their answer, as we look at this, we begin to see a symptom to their main problem. As the Lord Jesus asks them what things, Cleopas answers, and he says, the things about Jesus of Nazarene, who was a prophet, past tense, mighty indeed in word in the sight of all the people. Jesus was, in their eyes, a prophet in deed and word. He was, but he's a crucified prophet now from their point of view. How the chief priests and our own rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. He was, he's dead now. He's dead. And notice we see what they were hoping in. And this hope was in the past also. The hope is done for them at least. But we were continually in the past, that's what the Greek shows, hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. This is a very telling statement. Very interesting. They were hoping that Jesus would set them free from the Romans and set up his kingdom. 
Their faith was in what they wanted Jesus to do for them. And a lot of people come to Jesus in those terms. I'll come to you, Jesus, because I want you to fix this in my life. Well, sometimes the Lord doesn't fix those things in our lives. He wants us to come to him by faith in what he has done, recognizing our sinfulness. We were hoping. They had attached what was a biblical agenda because Scripture revealed that he would set up his kingdom eventually, that he would reign and rule as the sovereign king over all the earth. That would happen. But they were hoping that that would happen now in contradiction to other passages that reveal that he had to come first to suffer before the glories. Their hope was fixed on their circumstances rather than the person of Jesus Christ. And that always leads to hopelessness, even as a believer. If you are hoping in your circumstances changing or getting better, whatever it is, you will be hopeless. Our hope must be fixed, as we will see, in the person of Jesus Christ. These people had the if-only syndrome. If only Jesus hadn't died And we have the same thing at times. If only if I was well, if only I had a different job, if only my spouse was different, if only my kids would obey, if only I didn't suffer from depression, if only I didn't have this disease, and on and on and on. How about you? Do you suffer from the if-onlys? If only this wasn't this way, if only this wasn't that way? Well, that's ultimately going to lead to hopelessness. Because the only thing we can count on is the truth of God's word concerning Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he has said. Notice Luke continues describing what happened to these dejected disciples. Notice they share, verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day. This is a very interesting statement. Since these things happened. Verse 22, but some of the women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, verse 23, they came saying that he had, they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. We read that earlier, didn't we? And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but he, they did not see. Very interesting. They know a lot. It's the third day and it has been reported to them that Jesus isn't there. Obviously that he's risen. You know, this blows me away because they knew truth concerning Christ. They understood that truth. They knew that, but they didn't believe. They didn't believe what God had said, which was confirmed by the women. Indeed, it was the third day that the women also said that he had had arisen, that they had had a vision of angels. He was not there. Yet they didn't believe. They have a problem. They have a problem. And they are without hope, dejected, sullen, walking away. On the third day. These are all the real symptoms of of a life characterized without the real presence of Jesus Christ, truly. But Christ is gracious and comes alongside them. And the Lord God does that with each and every one of us. He comes alongside with the gospel in our hopeless state. He comes alongside through his word. Don't harden your heart if you hear his voice. So what's the danger of having a Jesus based on their hopes and dreams and desires? That's what we can do too, by the way. What's the, what's the danger? In context, notice, their Jesus was to redeem Israel, not to redeem them, as we see in Scripture. Their Jesus was to set up his earthly kingdom rather than a kingdom in their hearts. Their Jesus was a dead prophet rather than the risen Lord. They were completely horizontal, centered on this life only. And the apostle 
Peter, or Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 19, if we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we are of all men to be pitied. When you get sold a gospel that is for this life only, you have been sold a sham gospel. Jesus is not for this life only. Jesus brings eternal life. Eternal life. It's nothing different than setting up an idol and calling it Jesus. Hoping in a Jesus made of our own understanding, our own construction in our minds, rather than what has been shared in Scripture concerning the true Jesus and what he calls upon us to do. Are you to be pitied? Is Jesus for this life only? And it doesn't mean that he doesn't come alongside us. It doesn't mean he's not a gracious God who loves us and walks with us in this life. But is he for this life only? Has God graciously allowed your life to collapse? Has God graciously allowed you to reap what you've sown? Has God graciously allowed others' sin to affect you? Has God allowed this to show you your need for him? How is life going? Are you empty, discouraged, lonely, depressed, despairing? Have your hopes been dashed? Is this Jesus for this life? Or do you know Jesus at all? These dejected disciples were fixated on a Jesus for this life alone. And when he died, they didn't believe the truth of God. They didn't believe the witnesses. And they were dejected. But yet, Jesus still came alongside them. You see, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we can't save ourselves. We can't talk ourselves into believing. But God comes alongside us and convicts us through the gospel that we might be saved. So how can we find hope in a hopeless world? First of all, recognize the Lord Jesus comes alongside those who are walking away. He comes alongside and addresses us, as we will see, through the gospel, through the word of God. Look at what he does when he comes alongside. Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. It's emphatic. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus calls them foolish and slow to believe. The term foolish uh, uh, means without knowledge. The term slow to believe literally means stupid. You could translate it stupid. Dull of, of, of mental capacity. This isn't very nice. At least we think so. Notice Jesus cuts right to the quick. We may think it's unloving. It is very loving. It is very loving for God in human flesh who had risen from the grave to address their sin problem. And he goes right to it. Cuts right to the quick. Their sin problem is unbelief in the revealed word of God concerning Jesus Christ. Unbelief in the revealed word of God concerning Jesus Christ. This one verse takes away the, the, the power, in a sense, of all this bogus stuff we have in our Christian Christendom. All these things to come alongside to try to help people out, rather than the truth of God revealing our hearts and then pointing us to the God of the truth. He says, foolish and slow to believe, without understanding and dull mentally, stupid. You are foolish and stupid in the faith. Sounds pretty unloving. It's very loving. Sometimes we need the Lord to say that to us when we don't believe, that we might respond rightly and realize, yes, I have been foolish. I have been stupid in the faith. I have not trusted you. You are right. 
He says here to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. It's emphatic. It's a serious rebuke from the God of the universe to these two disciples who had heard the testimony of Jesus rising, who knew it was the third day, but were walking away. But Jesus still came alongside them. He still came alongside them, and he comes alongside you today, no matter how hard your heart is, no matter how much you are walking away from him. He comes alongside your heart too. Because he's a good God, as we'll see. He's a gracious God. He's a God who saves. Notice he's rooting, their, he's rooting out their, their, their core problem. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. They were slow and, and dull to believe what God had shared in his word. Now, these dejected disciples certainly believed some of God's word. They did believe about the kingdom coming. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. They did have some truth. But the truth they had, they didn't believe concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 26. Was it not necessary, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to enter into his glory? Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to die, to suffer these things? You see, if these men had believed the the revelation that they had to that day and understood, they wouldn't be doing this. They would have known that he had to suffer first to enter into his glory. He had to die first. He had to be cut off before receiving his kingdom, as we see in Daniel. As in Isaiah, he had to be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, before he would be allotted a portion with the great. Isaiah 53. Peter makes this clear in 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn there also. Keep your fingers in Luke. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. The prophets had prophesied concerning salvation. As to this salvation, 1 Peter 1.10, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ was within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Not only did they not believe God's word uh, from the prophets, it's evident they didn't believe what Jesus had said also. Uh, Luke chapter 9, 22, the Son of Man, Jesus says, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and killed. And raised on third day. Jesus had shared with the disciples that many times. They didn't believe that either. They were slow to believe. They were foolish of heart. You know, we often fall in the same boat. We, 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 well, first, obviously those who aren't saved don't believe the reality of their need for a Savior that God declares. Obviously those who aren't saved don't believe the truth concerning the person of Jesus Christ. But uh, we sometimes don't believe that, although he says he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. So we remain lonely. Sometimes we know he paid the price, but yet we don't believe it in real time at times, and so we stay in guilt and shame. We don't believe he's in control and sovereign over all things, that he is working all things together for good. So we are angered and frustrated at our situations. We don't understand and believe that he disciplines those he loves. So we become depressed. We don't believe truly he's preparing a place for us and coming again. We don't see that on a real-time basis, so we make this world a home in our hearts. 
For some of you here today, you don't believe that Jesus is God, that He has risen from the dead, that He has accomplished the work of salvation. You don't believe that He will judge you for your sins. You don't believe that if you do not turn to Him, you will eternally pay the price of your sins in hell. But God makes that clear. It's true. Don't be slow to believe and foolish. Don't be dull of heart. Don't be spiritually dumb. There are eternal consequences. So Jesus has defined their root cause of the problem, a lack of what God has revealed in the Scriptures, lack of understanding or belief in what God has revealed in the Scriptures. And notice the Lord Jesus, instead of saying, hey, I'm here, don't worry, it's all true, he doesn't do that. You see, because God does not want us to have our walk based on experience, but based on faith. Based on faith, as we will see. Even the risen Lord at this point will share the word of God concerning himself. And that's what he uses to convict their hearts. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets that have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things, to enter his glory? Wasn't it necessary? And beginning, this is a wonderful statement, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning who? himself in all the scriptures. Scripture means written word. It's the Bible. It's what we have. This is so amazing because Jesus, again, could have said, I'm alive, believe me, but he doesn't. He explained the things concerning himself in the scriptures. He has disguised himself. They do not know that it is Jesus. This is where he takes these despondent disciples. One pastor writes, this is a very important lesson. When we are discouraged, there is... One place to turn, not 15, not 5, not 2, but 1 is the written word of God. That points to Christ. You see, folks, the word of God is sufficient for everything. We have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1. We have been given his word, which is sufficient and, and, and able to bring about every good work in our lives, to equip us for everything. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, this is where he started. He explained the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In all the scriptures. You mean Jesus didn't use the 12 steps? You mean Jesus didn't use the purpose-driven life? You mean he didn't use boundaries or personality traits? What about theology? He didn't give them the reformers' writings or the doctrines of grace? He didn't do that? Being facetious, he shared himself in the scriptures. That's what we need. Christ from the word of God. Christ from the word of God. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Look at uh, John chapter uh, 5, verse 39. You see, if you look at the Pharisees, you know, in our scriptures, we see they're bad guys, they're hypocrites. It's pretty obvious, but it may not have been as obvious to those around them. There were things to see. But Jesus even had to tell people, beware of them. You know why? They looked good on the outside. They looked religious. And guess what? They were into the Word of God. The Pharisees were into the Word of God. But they weren't into the God of the Word. And there's a big difference. It's a big difference. Look at John 5.39. You search the Scriptures. That's the Word of God. Because you think in them you have eternal life. You think it's the Bible that gives you eternal life. No. He says here, and it is these that bear witness of me. 
that man, and he says here, and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. That's the issue. The scriptures bear witness of Jesus Christ. And it depends on whether you are willing to come to him in repentance and faith or not to receive the free gift of salvation. Christ alone is revealed in the word of God alone, and it is sufficient to address our problems and our greatest problem, which is salvation. Or our greatest problem, which is sin and the need of salvation. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. He, the term explained here means expounded. He, he, he unfolded the meaning of what was said in the scriptures. He expounded. This brings up another point. We need God to illumine his word to us. We need God to expound it for us. The spirit of God has to illumine the word of God in our lives, which means we need to submit to him. So what an amazing thing. Can you imagine them walking along in the seven-mile walk and the Lord himself explaining the things concerning himself in all the scriptures, beginning with Moses? On that walk, he, he probably shared that Jesus was, was, the, was the seed that would have his heel bruised. But through that bruising, he would crush the serpent's head, Genesis 3. He probably shared that he was the seed of Abraham, that all the nations would be blessed. That he is the Passover lamb in Exodus, the atoning sacrifice in Leviticus, the smitten rock in Numbers, the prophet to be raised up in Deuteronomy, the king, the anointed one, his, the son, who we are to take refuge and worship, Psalm 2, the stone which the builders rejected, Psalm 118, the child who would be born unto us, who would rule, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, father of eternity, prince of peace, the one who was pierced for our transgressions like a sheep led to slaughter, Isaiah 53. The branch of righteousness in Jeremiah. The one coming in the clouds in Daniel who would receive an everlasting kingdom. He explained the things to them concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus in all the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. You think you could do what God says and that gives you life. Mm -mm. He says here, it is these that bear witness of me. Jesus in the scriptures. The Old Testament revealing our sin, foreshadowing the work of our Savior. The New Testament revealing our Savior and his work on our behalf. Listen to Isaiah 53. Turn to Isaiah 53. If your focus is not on Christ, believer, you will be hopeless. If you don't put your focus on him and trust in him, it's going to come around. If, you're, if you don't know Christ, you're going you're gonna to end up hopeless. There's no hope for, for you in this world apart from Christ. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him. That's Christ growing up before the Father like a tender shoot. So you see, God the Son became human flesh. And, a, and a root, like a root out of parched ground, he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus saying, this is about the Christ. This is about, ultimately, as they'll see, about me. That's what he's saying about Jesus. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and one from from whom men hid their face. He was despised, and yet we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's what happened to Jesus. And he was explaining the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. God has ordained that we meet the risen Lord through the scriptures and not experience. God has ordained that. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. It is the word of God that is used to bring us into a relationship with the living God. The word of God concerning Christ. Are you despairing? Are you doubting? If you're a believer, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Turn and believe. Believe what God has said. Believe what he said about your circumstance. Believe what he said about your future. Believe what he said about himself. How do you deal with the hopelessness of this life? Is it counseling, drugs, booze, business, ministry? How do you deal with the hopelessness of this life? As I mentioned before, some people kill themselves, and that only leads to eternal death if they have not trusted in Christ. And in that light, I doubt they have. Get into God's word. You will find the only solution to hopelessness, which is Christ. So how do we find hope in a hopeless world? First of all, remember that even as we are walking away, the Lord God comes alongside through his word, through the gospel. You may be the hardest heart here today. And the Lord Jesus Christ, through his word, is coming alongside you as you are walking away. And he is revealing to you your problem, that you might turn and believe in him for salvation. Notice what happens. We see the results of actually uh, having God's word working in a heart. Look at verse 28. And then they approached the village which they were going, and he, says, speaking of Jesus, acted as though he would go no further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. What are the results of this conversation with the living God, whom they don't know is in their midst, concerning the word of God? They want to stay with him. Stay with us. Stay with us. And notice the second result. Verse 30. And he came in, and when he had reclined at the table, he took bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Isn't that amazing? The very one they were talking about came alongside them, and he was the one explaining the scriptures to them. And as they were breaking bread, they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. You know, if you look down a little further, it talks about uh, what, when that happened. Look at verse 31. And these, they're retelling what happened when they had gone back to Jerusalem. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, well, excuse me, we'll, we'll go down that in a minute. Actually, verse 35, excuse me. And they began to relate their experience on the road, how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And you think about it, as they broke the bread, you would see. You would see the nail prints. You would see the scars. He was recognized. You see, when we accept by faith the free gift 
of salvation, recognizing our sin and our need for a Savior, our eyes are opened. We turn from darkness to light through faith in Jesus Christ. And notice what we see here in verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? The word was working on their hearts. I pray it works on your heart. Were not our hearts burning within us? Oh, misguided brother and sister who looks for Christ in other places than the Word, don't do it. You're running from Christ rather than looking for Him, by the way. You're looking for a Christ of your own thought and desire rather than who has been revealed in the Word. Let Him speak to you through His Word. If you're in a difficult situation, let God speak to you through His Word. Focus on the person of Jesus Christ. So then the disciples are no longer running from Christ, but they wanted to be around. And notice what else happened. The last result, verse 33. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those who were with them. You have the 11 disciples of Jesus and you have those gathered with him and they they returned. And notice what they're saying. It's the opposite of what they were saying earlier, isn't it? The Lord has really risen. The Lord has really risen. And he has appeared to Simon. Notice that statement. They didn't believe that earlier when the women told him. Now they believe it because he appeared to them. And he has appeared to Simon. They arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They went right back. You see, when your heart is right before the Lord and you're walking with him, you want to be with his people. You want to be around them. You want to declare his excellencies. And that's what they're doing. The Lord has really risen and he has appeared to Simon. These disciples who were walking away in disbelief, having been confronted by the risen Lord through the word of God, now wanted to be with Jesus and then with his people, the evidence of a changed heart. A changed heart. You see, the results of real faith in Christ are desire to be with Jesus and desire to be around his people. Have your eyes been opened? Have your eyes been open to the truth and need of your sal- of salvation and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Some of you think you need a lightning bolt to believe or something incredible to happen to cause you to believe. I want to share one portion from the book of Luke earlier in Luke chapter 16. Let's turn there. We're going to see that the only thing you need is the truth of God and the word of God concerning the God of the truth. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And if some of you die today without Christ, this will be your lot temporarily, as we will see. Now there was a certain rich man, he and he additionally dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus, who was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died and was buried. That's his body went in the grave, but notice where his soul goes. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. You know, you who don't believe in Christ right now, you're not in torment. 
But if you continue to reject him, you will go to torment. And it is forever. This is the beginning of it. Being in torment, he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received the good things and likewise Lazarus the bad things, but now he is being comforted and you are here in agony. Be warned. Be warned. In this flame, I said, or in agony. And besides all this, there is... Between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who, are, who wish to come over here from, here from me to, to you may not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him away to my father's house. Send Lazarus back to my father's house. And notice what he says. For I have five brothers that they may warn them lest they come to this place of torment. Send him back to warn them about this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have what? Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You see, that's what you need is the word of God concerning Christ. That's all you need. But he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes back from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You know what? Even though Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus shared the word of God to them concerning himself. See, the word of God cuts through and pierces the heart. Some of you need to repent. You need to confess. Or your, your lot is this. The hopelessness you have now is just the beginning. God is a gracious God. What he did was he sent his son Jesus. And he came and he died on the cross. And he bore our sins in his body on the cross. He paid the whole penalty. And if you are willing to acknowledge and believe in him, well, now you're a sinner and turn from that sin. You can't stop, but you turn to Jesus to save you. He'll save you. And you will be forgiven. And you will have eternal life. And that's the good news. Will you do that today? Will you trust in Jesus Christ today? Will you turn from your sin and be saved? How do we find true hope in a hopeless world? Know that the risen Lord still comes alongside broken, misguided, hardened hearts. And recognize what he does when he comes alongside. He uses his word to reveal your foolishness and your unbelief that you might believe in him and be saved. Some of you here today have lived long enough to see that the things you've hoped for haven't panned out. The only true hope is in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we serve a risen Savior, one who has conquered death and sin, and we need to rejoice and praise him for what he has done for us. We have our sins for given we have a relationship with the living god turn to john chapter 11 verse 25 jesus said to her i am the resurrection and the life. 
he who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I pray you do. I do. Let's pray. Father, it is so wonderful and amazing to see the reality and truth of what you promised coming forth, that you sent your Son, that he died for our sins, that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, that all of us like sheep have gone astray, but you have caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Lord God, I I pray for anyone here today that you are piercing their heart, that they would not harden, that they would turn and they would confess their sin and they would call out to your son Jesus in belief, believing that he died for their sins, believing that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, I pray for those of us who have been saved, may we not forget why we are saved because you sent your son and he died for us and he rose from the dead may we praise you may we declare your excellencies may we sing unto you because of what you've done in your son it's in his name we pray